Set your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12 as we'll finish up with uh, these gifts, these manifestations, and we'll talk about some the prophecy and the tongues. But the trip went well. We made our way to Kazakhstan. Had a really good time. Had good meetings and uh, had an opportunity to minister to 30 or so ministers in a cabin between Kazakhstan and China. And these were all leaders in the underground church over there. Just a lovely, lovely time. Able to minister to them hour after hour and to hear about things that God was doing over there. And we really felt like God encouraged them and ministered to them in a powerful way. The church meetings went good. The Kazakh meeting, Kazakh speaking meeting was good, had interpreters for all of them, even for the Russian speaking service. It was in one of those services that uh, we had a, a manifestation of a demon possessed person in, in that meeting, in that altar call. And um, just uh, uh, just a terrible, terrible deal. A lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, a lot of foaming at the mouth, a lot of cursing and all of that. Took five or six people just to kind of hold the person down. Because as soon as I put my hand on her to pray for her as I was praying for other people, she just kind of went berserk. But in just a few moments, God, by his power, healed her and delivered her. And it certainly shocked the congregation just to see that in front of them. But we thank God that in Jesus name, uh, Mark 16 says we'll cast out devils. And, and we're grateful we have a name that's much more powerful than anything the, sa the, the Satan can can even offer. So we'll I'm sure we'll end up making our way back over there. We're now in the mode getting ready for the East African Bible School. We're going to do in August um, in the process now, putting together our booklets that they'll have that we'll be teaching from and ministering to them with and really expecting God to do some wonderful things. So in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to you more about that because we'll bring them all together in one location and, and then we'll preach the gospel to them and prepare them. And then on that final day, uh, we'll even have a graduation for them and everything. So it's going to be a, a lovely and lovely time. Okay, now this evening we want to conclude with these manifestations of the Spirit. And I want to read verses 4, 5, and 6, and then I'm just going to read verse 10. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now, we have dealt with verses 8 and 9, but in part of verse 10, but look at verse 10 again, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, we worked on miracles the last time we dealt with this subject, and we worked on discerning of spirits. How, how God gives people sometimes the ability to, to recognize what we're dealing with here. What kind of a spirit? Because in the uh, Gospels, we have a variety of different kinds. Deaf spirits, blind spirits, dumb spirits. But then at the same time, angels sometimes appear uh, to people. But on this evening, 
we're looking at these tongues and these interpretation of tongues. Now, let's go over now to 1 Corinthians 14 and let's look at verse one. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. That's what the KJV says. But rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, and unknown is italicized, so we can say he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men. Uh, notice the three, three categories here, the edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in a tongue or unknown tongue edifies himself. He that prophesied edifieth the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. Now, why, why would he say that? Now, look at verse 18. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. That's what he said in verse 18. So coming back to verse 5. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may be Receive edify. Now in verse six, you, you get some categories here of different types of tongues that are in function. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by one revelation, two knowledge, three prophesying or four by doctrine. Okay, so this this is certainly a, a topic that comes up whenever you take the time to read the end of the Gospel of Mark or start working your way through the book of Acts. So let's let's briefly just kind of mention then what this man is talking about when he's talking about prophecy. Now, prophecy, of course, is an inspired or divine utterance and by prophecy. We may mean prediction because under the old covenant, predictions were made by certain prophets. So we know that Zechariah was a prophet. He predicted things that would happen at the end of time. Daniel was a prophet. He predicted things that would happen at the end of time. Elijah was a prophet, but he didn't make a whole lot of predictions about the end of time. However, he did predict that it would not rain until he said it would rain. A prophecy can be given and it doesn't have anything to do with the apostles because the evangelist Philip in uh, the book of Acts, he had four daughters that prophesied. See, so it's not connected to whether or not somebody was an apostle. And at the same time, if you read Revelation chapter one, you'll see where he talks about reading this book of the prophecy. So sometimes the words were written down as we have them inscribed at the end of the uh, Bible. Now, if someone were to say to you, well, I just feel like prophecy was for one particular error. I would only say there's nothing in the Bible that says that if we start in Genesis uh, people gave prophecies in Genesis. Moses had prophecies in Exodus. You come into the time where they entered the promised land. At no time did any of them say, well, that ended with Moses' era or Moses' era. 
And then with with Isaiah and other people, they never at all said prophecy ended once we received the Mosaic law and it was written down and we came into the promised land. God has always had different people around kings and people in authority and within the congregation of Israel who predicted or prophesied. And and you need to know that every person who's ever prophesied in the history of Israel, their, their, their records are not here in this book. And there's nothing that says that every person who's ever prophesied under the inspiration of God, that it had to be written down. It says in Acts, I believe, chapter 15, somewhere around in there, Judas and Silas were prophets. So we know they prophesied in church. We don't have a record of anything they said. We don't even have a record of what the daughters of Philip prophesied about, you see. So the idea that it was for a certain age and once the disciples died and then we received the Bible that it was no longer needed, that that is fallacious. That has nothing to do with how the spirit of God operates. But that is man's mentality in trying to rationalize something because they'll say, well, you know, you have a lot of people that that make up a lot of things and there are a lot of false prophecies. Well, just because you have a lot of things that are false, that doesn't mean you have to dispense with what is true. There are a lot of people who teach false ways of salvation. I don't believe in how the Mormons teach salvation. I don't believe in what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach about how to be saved. I certainly don't believe in, in the view of, uh, of Catholics that there is no salvation outside of the Holy Mother Church. But I'm not going to stop teaching the Bible just because other people have a view that differs from mine. And so the, the scripture never says we're putting a cap on when these things are going to function or some kind of expiration date. There just isn't one. And, and you can go all the way to the end of, of uh, the book of Acts and you'll find it to be so. And you can see in the book of Revelation where Jesus and the angel talking to talking to John speaks to him about prophesying to the nations. And that's still some 40, 50 years or so after Calvary. Now, let's go to Acts chapter two. And and I want to make some reference to these different kinds of tongues that we have here in the Bible. And Acts chapter two. So just to give some context, at the end of Mark 16, the Gospels say, in my name, you will cast out devils, heal the sick, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If you drink anything, it won't bother you or hurt you. All of those you can find in the Bible, every one of them. Four of them you can find in the book of Acts. One of them drinking something that won't hurt you. You can go back to Elijah and Elisha's day and see where they drink that poisonous water and stuff and still survived. Even when other people were dying and having problems in, in that particular era. Now, there are uh, scholars today who want to tell people that the last 12 verses of Mark chapter 16 weren't part of the original Bible. Now, it may not have been part of the Bible they read. But it's certainly part of the Bible that I read and a part of the Bible that's been read for the past for the past 2000 years or slightly 
nevertheless. But Luke tells us where Jesus is there near Bethany and he's getting ready to ascend. And he says, I want all of you to wait here in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. This is called the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter one, the disciples said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel and make us strong and mighty again? And Jesus said to them, it is not time for you to know these things because God has put certain things in his power. But here's what he said. You wait, you'll become witnesses because the spirit of God is going to going to fall or descend upon you. So in Acts chapter two, you can see in verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all with one accord in one place. There was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. Notice all notice the context, all of these different things that occurred when the spirit of God entered the room. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. So each of them could see cloven tongues of fire hanging above everybody else's head. There's more than 120 people here. It would be like all of us sitting in a circle or in different directions and something divine happens. And then you can see like burning embers over everybody's scalp in here. That's what happened here. So verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. So they didn't make this up. They didn't create these languages. They were Semites. They spoke a Semitic language, which is a very guttural type language. And then you can come down and see where in verse eight, it says, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we're born. So look at these different people, people that are mentioned here. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. <clears throat> that's over in, in Iran. Dwellers in Mesopotamia. That's Iraq. Judea, of course, that's Israel, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, that's modern day Turkey, Phrygia, Pamphylia, that's Turkey, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, see, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, that's an island in the Mediterranean, Arabians, that's a whole continent today. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, our language in English is part of what we call the Indo-European dialect. So I'm telling you right now, in order for you to speak Swahili, it's going to take a miracle from God. Yeah. And, and for you to say some, you know, coherent sentences in Chinese, it'll take a miracle from God. Because you weren't raised with your vocal cords Making certain sounds it's just just absolutely would be impossible in, in the sense that you, you wouldn't be able to, to, to make a sentence unless somebody trains you to do it. But if these were Judean people or Israelite people, Semitic people, and suddenly they're speaking these different languages, it would have to be a miracle. It would have to be a miracle. And no interpreter was needed because God, by his Holy Spirit, gave them the ability to do one or two things. Number one, all of them were speaking different languages and the people were coming around and listening to where they heard their language being spoken. And they were listening to the wonderful things God was saying or all of them in unison 
started speaking a language and then the spirit of God led them into another language and then into another language and into another language. However you describe it, it's a miracle because there's no way they would have been able to do it on their own. And for you that grew up around here speaking a little bit of German, then, then you know how difficult that is as a language with guttural sounds in it that we don't have in English. Yeah. Okay, so this is the first instance where you had the, the wind and you had the fire. Now let's go to chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to the home of a Roman soldier. And we'll pick it up here in verse 44. When he gets to the Roman soldier's house, he preaches the gospel to them. And they hear the gospel and believe. So in verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which believed, that's the Jewish people, were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because, here's why they were astonished, that on the Gentiles, the non-circumcised, also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice he's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as we? Now, there's nothing in here that says there was a rushing wind. There's nothing in here that says they saw fire. All it simply says was they heard Peter and then there was a divine interruption and they began to speak in tongues. It doesn't even say they spoke in a language that everybody could understand. It just says they were speaking in tongues and magnifying God. So whatever language was coming out of their lips, Peter says they were glorifying God. So now you've got two, two Different kinds of tongues here in the book of Acts. Now, let's go to chapter 19. I'll show you another one just like the one here in 10. Acts chapter 19. And notice verse 1. While Paulos was at Corinth, Paul came into the coast of Ephesus. He found some disciples and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, there are some modern translations that will put it this way. They'll translate and say, did you receive the Holy Ghost? I think they I think that's their way of trying to get away from this whole aspect of these people that in chapter 19 here had spoken with with other tongues. But but listen to verse three. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? They said John's baptism. Well, we know John did the baptism of repentance because that's in Matthew three. That's in Luke chapter three. And, and we know that Jesus and his disciples baptized because you can look at that in the gospel of John. I think chapter four, the first two or three verses. So Paul responds by saying, John baptized with the baptism of repentance that they should believe on him who should come after him. That is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized. So he took them to the water. Yeah, he took them to the water and they were baptized. So verse six. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 men. So, again, there's no fire. 
There's no wind or anything like that. And, and this time it doesn't even seem like they're in a house like they were with with Cornelius. And, and the reason I'm showing you these variations is you'll read some commentaries and listen to some evangelical teachers and they'll say, well, on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were filled for all of the church represented throughout the age of the church. Well, that can't be right because there'd have been no need for this to happen in chapter 10. See, in chapter 10, when when uh, when uh, Cornelius and his family was filled with the Holy Spirit and they received the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, well, that's because that was for all the Gentile people. And now all the Gentile people are are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they'll say the same thing here with Acts chapter 19. Now, that's a nice, neat way to put it together. But none of these people in the Bible interpret it that way. Not one of them. Because if 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 Peter would have been under the impression that that they already were filled with the Holy Spirit, he would have been shocked that such a thing would have happened. And if Paul would have been under the impression that they already had everything they needed, he wouldn't have asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? See, so when when we look at this, now we can see we have so far Two different kinds of tongues here in the book of Acts. One where somebody speaks in a language that is known by somebody here on planet Earth. And then secondly, when someone speaks in a language and nobody knows what's going on, but they're still glorifying God. So that's two. So let's go to first Corinthians 14. Now, first Corinthians 14. And. I want you to see what it says in verse 13. Wherefore, let him that speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So now we can see there's the third and the fourth one here. Because the, the third aspect of speaking in tongues is being able to pray in the spirit because in verse two, it says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Well, on the day of Pentecost, they weren't talking to God. On the day of Pentecost, they were talking to all the people that were around and the people heard them declaring the wonderful works of God. So they heard them as they were speaking to the people, but speaking about God. And in chapter 10 and in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied or spoke in tongues and magnified God. So whatever they were saying was still glorifying God. So we come back here to verse two of first Corinthians 14. And you can see no man understands him. How be it in the spirit? He speaks mysteries. Mysteries. When, when a person is praying in the Holy Spirit, they're not talking to you that are around. They're talking to God. If we're in a corporate setting like this and somebody gives an utterance in tongues out of the blue, then there should be an interpretation. That's what Paul said. There should be an understanding given to the people in order to edify the people. But if you go into a prayer meeting and, and somebody's over in the corner somewhere and they're, they're praying and they're speaking in tongues and talking to God, that should not offend you because they're not talking to you. It says in the spirit, they're speaking mysteries. And it says that they're speaking unto God because I've heard a lot of people say, well, I just, I just don't like being in the church. If I go in a prayer meeting or I hear somebody and they're talking in tongues it's, and it just sounds like gibberish to me and it bothers me. So what, who are you? 
They're not talking to you. If you go into a restaurant and you hear a bunch of people speaking Spanish or Japanese and you don't like what you hear, it doesn't really matter. They're not talking to you. You can be as offended as you want to be. It just doesn't have anything to do with you. And I've seen plenty of people who are like that. You have some people over here speaking in different languages and you have a group over here and they'll just keep staring at the people over there speaking in a non-English language because they're irritated. Why are you irritated? You're probably speaking a language they don't understand. And they're speaking their language because that is what they understand. The Christian then has the third one here where it talks about in the book of in, in the Bible here that, that somebody can pray in the spirit. And it says in verse two, they edify themselves, build themselves up. And, and Paul says in verse 18, I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And Paul was never under the impression that that this was located just for a geography or just for certain apostles. He, he, he knew this was for any and everybody. So that's the third one. So what's the fourth one? Tongues and interpretation. Tongues and interpretation. If if someone gives an utterance, there should be an interpretation. Now, I don't know how many times. In my life, I've given a tongue and interpretation, but I'll just say it's been hundreds. It's been a lot. And I've certainly been in a lot of places where somebody gave an utterance and then I gave the interpretation. You see, we say, well, how, how do you know what, what to say? I don't know what to say, but the spirit of God gives me what to say at that moment. That, that's that's how it happens. I don't have any other way uh, to describe it other than to say that. Now, if God has not or does not use you that way, that doesn't make it wrong for everybody else. That just means he doesn't use you that way. See, so we, we need to understand that with the manifestations of the spirit, they occur in different ways. And this is what Paul was saying in First Corinthians 12. Now, while I was over in Russia, I had somebody to text me a question about this very thing we're talking about right now. And, and I wrote him a long text back. And I just want to read some of that to you because it, some of it might even help clarify something. I said, but on the issue of tongues, the New Testament offers several examples. Number one, and that's chapter two, where they spoke in other languages on earth. Number two, in Acts chapter 19, where you speak in tongues and what is said is not known. Number three, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, where one prays in the spirit. Number four, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, where there's a manifestation of tongues with an interpretation. No, uh, no interpreter, no, an interpreter is not needed when one is praying in the Holy Spirit. If I'm praying in, a, in the spirit, I don't have to have an interpretation. But Paul does say that I can ask for an interpretation in verse 13. And the spirit of God can reveal that. Well, he or she is speaking to God. And although I said this already, although it may bother a person as much as listening to somebody speaking in Spanish or some other language around them, we just need to remind people over and over again. We're not talking to you. We're not talking to you. We're talking to God. Also, tongues never died out, nor was it for a certain era. Baptism in water was not for ancient times alone. We still baptize folks in water today. Repentance was for then as it is now. So is communion, prayer and fasting and so on. 
So why do we let some people cherry pick for us what parts of the of the of uh, the first century church belongs for today? No one was filled with the spirit in order to then represent in type all of the church's fullness forever. Individuals had to believe the gospel then they have to believe it now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will continue to occur in churches where it is believed. And if you go back to medieval times, we had a 1200 year period where salvation by grace and by faith and by the blood of Jesus was wholly unknown in Europe. Then the Reformation came. And when Martin Luther and them came along and started preaching justification by faith, then people realized we're born again, not because we were born into the Roman church, but we're born again because we have a relationship with God. But here's here's the key. During that twelve hundred year period in Greek and in Latin and in other languages, the phrase you must be born again was still in the Bible. See, so just because you ignore it and just because you don't read it or just because you don't understand it, that doesn't mean it's not for the church. You see, and, and it took the Reformation to bring a, a lot of that uh to us so that we would we would understand it. And, and so I would encourage you to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures daily. Ask yourself basic questions like this. Why do we still baptize in water? But they say this other baptism is of no consequence. Why does Paul say at the end of first Corinthians 12 that when you're born again, you're baptized into the body of Christ? But then we turn around and tell people that there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why do we tell people that you have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, repent and be born again, but then tell people simultaneously, well, God doesn't speak in dreams and visions anymore. Why? I think we do that because it's safe and and it keeps us from having to deal with super supernatural aspects of Christianity but here's the bottom line from the day you're born again until the day you leave this planet everything about your christian life is supernatural your sins cannot be eradicated by the blood of jesus unless you believe in something supernatural yeah it's impossible for it to be handled any other way all right. So let's let's then come back over to first Corinthians 14, because I, I don't want to just leave it there. So let, let's preach and teach some balance here. Verse 19. <clears throat> Having said all of that about tongues, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my what? Understanding. Now, now here is where I differ from a lot of my other friends who are full gospel. Because sometimes I, I've gone into services and they'll open the service. They'll say, OK, everybody, let's just all just start speaking in tongues as loud as we can and charge the atmosphere with power and all of that. I, I don't do that. Because we, we may have visitors, you may have people who don't know anything about God. And then you start off like that. Listen to what verse 19 says in the church. I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Yeah, we want clarity. We're not trying to confuse anybody. We want clarity. Look at verse 20. Brethren, don't be children in understanding because children are very naive and children's understanding is not fully formed when they're kids. Howbeit, in malice be children. 
That means if you're going to be angry with somebody, get over your anger just like kids do. Kids get into a fight over a toy, then six minutes later be playing and laughing and, and rolling around on the floor and wrestling with each other. That's what he's saying. But in understanding, be men. That is to say, be mature. In the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people yet for all that they will not hear me saith the Lord that's a quotation from Isaiah 28 verses 11 and 12 so Paul reaches back to the prophet Isaiah 800 years or so before Jesus was born and he says this was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would happen yeah and it doesn't come with any expiration date either So tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them who don't believe. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So we we, we understand that just like in the early church, God, by his spirit, can use people, whether it's through the proclamation of the word of God in preaching or through some inspired utterance, it can still be a prophetic declaration if it comes directly from the king. You say, well, if, it, if it's a prophetic declaration that comes from the king, that makes it scripture, and we've got to have it written down. I just already told you, Philip had four daughters that prophesied, and wasn't nobody writing everything down. And Judas and Silas, and I can give you five or six other names of people that were called prophets in the Bible, and we don't have anything written down. Go to Acts chapter 13 and look at Barnabas and others that were called prophets and teachers in the church. We don't have any other scriptures other than Genesis through Revelation. But we still have God using people and using them to be spokespersons for him. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And, and let me show you something else here. Acts chapter two. And again, uh, just because you've got a lot of weird things that go on in other places, that unchanged what happened in the early church. And, and the, the desire of every Christian ought to be to try to be like Christians in the early church, not modern day Baptists, not modern day Assemblies of God or modern day Episcopalians, we should have a desire to be like they were in the first century. Okay, Acts chapter 2, Peter is given a message here, and he's talking about this promise of the Spirit. Now, we'll, we'll go very slow with verse 39. See, this promise. For the promise is unto you. See, Peter is saying this to the whole crowd on the day of Pentecost and to your children. See, they're children. And to all that are afar off, that's way off in distant lands and other places. And even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, well, hold on. <laughs> hold on for a second. If. If verse 39 means anything, it means that this is not localized. But but this operation of the spirit is going to happen outside of of Israel. And it also tells us it is not concentrated in one particular generation. You, your children 
and other people far away and to many is our Lord God called. So what is that saying? I'm telling you right now, as long as God is calling people to repent of their sins and be saved, he will be filling people with the Holy Spirit as in the book of Acts way. It's just never going to stop. And anyone who, who says that, then, then my question basically is going to be, where was the termination point? Which person died that made it the termination point? Because obviously none of these people in the first century knew there was a time it was supposed to stop. Now, I'm not going to bother with, with going through the, the history of the church, but you can purchase the, the, uh, the, the writings of the apostolic fathers, which are not in the Bible, but just like you who like to read a book by Joyce Meyer or anybody else, you can read, read some of the ancient letters of the apostolic fathers and you'll see that in their day, which would be a hundred, 150 years after the last apostle died, you still had this stuff going on. It was still happening. See, still happening. The, the, the places where it died out was in the places where people said it's no longer needed and God doesn't do it anymore. And even today in the body of Christ around the world right now in in church movements who teach this doesn't happen today in those movements. It doesn't happen today. It doesn't happen today. No. If, if, if they say, no, you, 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 we're not baptizing people in water today anymore. That stuff is done with, like E.W. Bullinger thought in that big study Bible he wrote back at the end of the 19th century. There are plenty of people still read that, that Bible, and, and they don't believe that we should baptize in water today. They don't believe we should take communion today. So in those churches, they don't do that. But I take communion today. And I still baptize people in water. So so my point in all of this is uh, merely to say that when it comes to these manifestations of the spirit, they are not governed by man. These things are in the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done. Now, let's go back to first Corinthians 12, because I've, I've never liked just stopping with these verses that talk about these manifestations, but to, to say something about the body in general. First Corinthians 12, verse 11, for all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and has many members. It goes on to say that the body also is one uh, being uh, being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That happens when you're born again. Whether you're Jews or Gentiles, whether bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So you, you've got a hand, you've got a wrist, you've got a forearm, you've got biceps, you've got shoulders, you've got a chest, you've got a torso, stomach, and so on and so forth. And every one of these members of the body has a very distinct function. Now, every now and then you'll have a, a, a member that's capable of doing more than one thing, like your heart, you see. But, but for the most part, there's a particular function for everything that is on your body. And this is why Paul goes on to say, in this body, you, one member can't say to the other one, I don't have need of you. So look at verse 
verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Still of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Still of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole body was one big ear, how would you smell? Can you imagine how unattractive that would be if all of us just looked like one super large ear? (laughs) See, (laughs) see, God went out of his way to design this body so that even the scripture says when you have parts of your body that you don't think are so beautiful. He said we lavish more value on the part we don't think is so beautiful. So in the body of Christ. The, the church is different. I know we've got thousands upon thousands of denominations and independent churches and movements and all of that. But we've got one big general body of Christ. And usually in different movements and different sects, you have an emphasis on one particular truth or two particular truths. But most of the time, all the truths are needed in order to fit the body of Christ for what God's called it to do. I'm glad that during the Reformation, Mr. Luther and them came along and said, look, we're justified by faith because nobody else was saying it. Yeah, I'm glad they said that nobody else was talking about that at all. And I'm glad the Baptist came along shortly thereafter and said, you know what? We do need to start putting people in that water again because that's what they did in that ancient church. And sure enough, that immersion is going. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that that in the period before the Reformation from the from ancient times that you didn't have people that continued these. It's just that the historical record primarily has been written by Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholics and other people, the Coptic Church in Egypt, so that you never really learned about any smaller movements who weren't part of the broader big movements. So a lot of times we don't even know except for what what they've told us. But yeah, when John Wesley came along, what did he preach? He preached to the people sanctification and living holy. I'm glad he came along with that. When uh, John Alexander Dowie, Maria Mariah Woodworth Eder and a handful of other people, A.B. Simpson, founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. They came along and said, Jesus said we can lay hands on the sick and pray for people. People started praying for folks again. When the Azusa Street Revival broke out in California, it was only because of what had happened down in Topeka back in 1901. And and with all of that taking place, then people started saying, there's nothing wrong with people if, if they speak with other tongues. But long before the Topeka thing, down in Tennessee in the 1880s, you already had people doing this. You had the people in London in 1830s that were already doing this. This stuff has been going on forever. It's just that the, the church leaders and church historians have hid this from people. But now because of the Internet and because you have a, a greater unity in the body of Christ and people are studying these things out, they're able to see, oh, that was a lie. And that was never true. They said this was not happening. It was happening. You can go back and get Philip Schaff's History of the Church, which is about 40 something volumes. And you can look from the second century right on up to the patristic era. And he himself, because he knew seven or eight different languages or more, he chronicled the operations of the Holy Spirit during the time of the the patristic fathers. And that's important to know. 
because we need to understand our heritage and, and we don't need people telling us that that what is happening. God never has been involved with. And it's just man made stuff and just a whole lot of gibberish. That's 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 important to to know that. OK, let's continue then. Look at uh, verse twenty two. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So suppose a man has a withered arm. A person with a withered arm is going to go out of his way to try to protect that arm and preserve that arm and do what he can to help that arm. That's what he's talking about. If you've got an aspect of your physical body, that is problematic, you're going to favor it. If, if you've got a pain in your leg and you're walking, you know the tendency is to try to put more weight on the one that's not causing you problems. See, that's, that's what he's saying here. For our beautiful parts don't have any need, in verse 24. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, now here's something interesting in verse, verse 27. All of you are the body of Christ members in particular, and God hath set, set some in the church, first apostles. Yeah, apostles. Well, well pastor, are you saying there are apostles today? Well, yeah. You said like the 12 apostles of Jesus? No. What kind of apostles are, are you talking about? Let, let's go to Romans 10. I, I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Romans 10. And I want you to know the Greek word apostolos means to be sent. And we're going to look at a quotation from an Old Testament book from Isaiah. But Romans 10, look at verse 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So notice in verse 15, that first, uh, that second clause, except they be sent. See, that's the Greek word apostle. See, God is the one who calls people to preach and proclaim the good news. So as long as God is calling people to go share the good news, we're always going to have some form of apostleship in the body of Christ. Always, always. Now, it may not be on the level of the 12, which I doubt if it will. And it may not always even make it to Second Corinthians 12 and 12, where it talks about truly the works of an apostle were done among you in mighty signs and wonders and patience and all of that. Because I meet a whole lot of people call themselves apostles that I doubt their apostleship. Yeah. But but just like with Paul, there were people that doubted his apostleship. So even the ones sometimes whose apostleship I doubt, they've got a movement of people that accept them as apostles. I don't fight with them. I'm not even going to argue with them. See, Paul said, I may not have been an apostle to other people, but I've been an apostle to you. That's what Paul said. So let's come back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. So secondarily prophets 
And what I say about apostles goes for for prophets and it goes for teachers. We still have teachers in the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about people who genuinely know how to take something uh, difficult and clarify it and simplify it. Uh, There are plenty of people have a teaching gift right out of Romans chapter 12. You say, who are some people you think are, you know, have a good teaching gift for explaining things? Well, a lot of different people, some of them in different traditions, church traditions than, than I'm in. I, I've always thought Chuck Swindoll was a good teacher. I've always thought that um, uh, Mr. Stanley, Charles Stanley was a good teacher. Yeah, good teacher. What's the other gentleman down there in Dallas, Texas, whose wife passed away? He's the like the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboy for a lot of years. Last name, is it Evans? Tony, Tony Evans. See, I've, I've always thought Tony Evans, just a great, great teacher. There's a whole lot of people that teach, and I honestly believe they have a great teaching gift. See, so we don't ever want to, to, to think that that was limited to the first century. Where in the world would the body of Christ be right now without a good teacher? See, where would we be without people to explain some of these things? And so what else did he establish in the church? Miracles? They haven't gone anywhere. You say, well, I haven't seen any. That doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, that doesn't matter. Remember, Jesus walked on water with his disciples in Galilee. He got, he came walking, was going to pass him up out there in the middle of that water. But I've told you before, that miracle happened in northern Israel, in Galilee. None of the disciples in uh, Egypt knew about it. And none of the ones in Russia knew about it. But just because they didn't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen on the waters of Galilee. So just because you weren't there when someone's miraculous testimony occurred, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean you weren't there. But if you look at your own life and you look at it with uh, with attention to detail, I would doubt that if you're really a Christian and you love God, I would doubt that you can go through your whole Christian life and not find where God has done something miraculous for you. Yeah, there's just no way on this earth you're going to tell me you've been serving God and God has never done something miraculous for you. This is what he does. We don't have a day of miracles. We serve a God of miracles. You see, and then verse 28, uh, then gifts of healings. Said that helps. Oh, yeah. We, we, you say, what's a help? Any kind of ministry that helps in the church. A musician, that's a help. People clean the church, that's a help. People work on landscape, that's a help. Yeah. Uh, all of these things are necessary. Government, you mean to tell me that God put governments in the same category with all these supernatural things? Absolutely. You have to have leadership and government and administrations in the church. You can't have a dictatorship. You got to have government in the church. You got to have people who are able to administrate and be accountable to people and to things. Okay. And again, diversities of tongues. We already gave you at least four. I didn't even work on first Corinthians 14, where it talks about the different types of, of the tongues out there as they're mani- manifested. But notice verse uh, 29, as we start working to a close here, are all apostles? Nope. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Still no. 
are all workers of miracles. I'm still saying no, even though they've got seminars all over the place today that will teach people how to work a miracle and how to do it. And you can do this and you can do that. And and it'll just happen. I'm telling you right now, if God anoints you supernaturally, other people are going to know you're anointed. But if it's you, it's going to be you. You try to snatch somebody up out of a wheelchair and nothing happens, but he falls back to the floor. That's not going to look pretty unless you're Jack Cohen. You'll do it five or six times and then they'll jump up and take off running. See, but but even then he he, he was anointed. Have all the gifts of healing. Never met a man in my life that had every one of them. Never met a woman that's had every one of them. But I have met plenty of people that have prayed for people and there was a manifestation of healing and people were made whole. Uh, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Nope. Everybody doesn't have that ministry. And we've already covered that. First Corinthians uh, 12. I'm not talking about Acts chapter two. I'm talking about a minister standing in the church, giving an utterance in tongues and then the interpretation. Everybody doesn't have that ministry. But I can tell you what it goes on to say. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, in, in closing, then. When we started this, I started with first Corinthians 13. Because I wanted you to see how important love and the love walk was before we ever even engaged these these uh, teachings on the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But look at first Corinthians 14, verse one. It says, follow after charity. I think everybody in here would know that we should do that in every generation. But then it says desire spiritual gifts. And so many Christians are discouraged from doing that. Discouraged. From desiring spiritual gifts. You should want them. You should ask for them. You should pray for them. And then notice what it said. But rather that you may prophesy. So people love the first sentence. But they don't care too much about the second and the third. But I honestly believe in walking with God. That we should want the things that God wants for us. Yeah. If if, if the Lord says... I do have some gifts that are available for you. Why would you not want them? Why not? I mean, if, if, if I put a table up here and I put a bunch of gifts up here and put, um, put name tags on them and ribbons and all of that and put a little card outside of it and said that, you know, and it said in this box here, there's $50. In this box here, there's $1,000. In this box here, keys to a brand new car. In this box here, all kinds of chocolates that you could have. In this box here are the syrups you need to make Pastor Darrell a nice cappuccino. Okay. So you got, so you got a table with all of this stuff up here. And then I say, okay, anybody who's interested, come up here and get whatever gift you want. Now, some of you, are going to go towards the gift that you feel you need at that time. If you don't have a car, you're probably going to be more interested in the car than making sure a pastor has a cappuccino. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you're in need of, of a home, you'll probably go for the keys of a house rather than going for $1,000. But, but, but here's my point. People have a tendency to pray according to where they are in their Christian life and according to where their needs are. But all I'm trying to help you see from this book is that there are plenty of things out here that are available to you and to me. We just have to avail ourselves of the opportunity and say, God, if 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 you really do have all these wonderful things for me, 
then, then maybe I do need to get in your presence and, and see how I can receive some of these things. Yeah. And, and remember, this isn't for a day or for an era. This is until Jesus comes. Yeah. Till he comes. He ascended up on high. He gave gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to build a church, to do the work of the ministry. And this will continue until the end of time. I know that's the case because when Paul got to Acts chapter 28, he was still doing on that island what he was doing when his ministry first began in Cyprus. And I was praying for people and preaching the gospel while he was incarcerated. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we have unburdened our heart and shared what we do believe is what's in that book. And that first century church has set the example for us. And Lord, where we've fallen short, we do ask you to forgive us. And God, we certainly don't ever want to move out into any kind of error. But we do want to live in the light of the word of God that has been ministered to us. And so, Father, I pray that for all of us, you deal with our hearts. So let us wake up in the middle of the night with a greater hunger for the things that you have for us, God. Uh, let, let it happen, Lord, as we're riding down the road in the car. I pray that by your power, you minister to all of us. You said the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So we love you. And we thank you in Jesus mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen.